Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Strength Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and I'm still in D.C., um, hanging at a really cool, unique bar. In fact, I'm not sure that there's another place like this in the country. Uh, sitting here with uh, Chris and EJ. Uh, Chris Franca is the owner. And EJ Apaga, are you the bar manager? General manager. General manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're running the whole show. Yes. So, um, yeah, man, I was here last night. This place is incredibly unique. Thank you. Thank um, you so much. Like, I mean, uh, Chris, tell me a little bit about, like, just the bar in general. Like, what? what <laughs> it's so new, right? It, we were, it's brand new. So, well, so the, the, the brick and mortar bar opened in July, but I started the concept as a pop-up sort of at the end of 2013, early 2014. Uh, it started as a literal speakeasy in my apartment. I was having inviting, <laughs> yeah, <that's> inviting <laughs> friends over. The very definition. Don't ask, don't tell. Inviting friends over saying we have a $25 suggested donation. Here is a menu of four drinks. And like after the second one of those or so, I was lying in bed one night thinking like, why do people like black Russians and white Russians? They're such garbage drinks. What, what if I made one that tastes like Turkish coffee? And thus the whole like idea of Middle Eastern flavored cocktails in my head was born. So that's the important thing here, I think, that sets it. Uh, apart from all other cocktail bars that I've visited, is it is a very much it's a Middle Eastern focused cocktail exactly. bar. So um, I'm to give background. I'm half Iraqi. Um, we have a lot of family in Lebanon also. So I grew up, you know, eating Iraqi food, eating Lebanese food, traveling in that region a lot. So I grew up with all these flavors, and you know, it's a very distinctive um, flavor portfolio almost. And it's like, why was nobody putting these in drinks? You know, you have Latin cocktails, you have Indian flavored cocktails, you get Southeast Asian flavored cocktails and Thai restaurants and stuff. How come nobody was doing Middle Eastern cocktails? So I thought, why not? Do you think that some of that ties into just some of culturally, a lot of those countries don't allow alcohol? Well, so here's the thing, like in Iraq, alcohol is legal. In Lebanon, alcohol is legal. In places right. like Jordan and Turkey, alcohol is legal. Sure. So my family drinks. Sure. Um, but even in a place like Beirut, which is known for its nightlife, the whole drinking scene there, it's either, traditionally, it was either Johnny Walker Black Label, which we have displayed all over the bar here. <laughs> right. um, There's or, a reason it's the number one selling spirit. Right. Right. They, or, they, they just sold 30 million cases since we sat oh down. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, or it's Areg, which is the um, anise-flavored grape distillate that has been produced in the region forever. Or it's like the local beer or some local wine and like cocktail or, you know, you go in the clubs and you get like vodka Red Bulls and like gin and tonics and shit like that. And nobody was really doing cocktails until a few years ago. And I think they're very much taking it as the American and like European cocktail scene. So very, very few places, even in Beirut, uh, are, are using local flavors in the drinks. And it's slowly, slowly, slowly starting to change. A few like very forward thinking places are doing it. But like every time I go to Beirut and I visit the farmer's market, it's like I want to buy everything here and bring it back to D.C. and put it all in my cocktails. How come nobody there is doing that? That's what I've, I've long said. Uh, well, not long said, but said in the last couple of years, like the with this whole cocktail revolution, things have changed so much that there's not a single place in the world you can go now and not find at least a few places where you can get some badass drinks. Yeah. Because people care Somewhere, yeah, everywhere, absolutely. you know, everywhere somebody cares. And you just might have to look. I said you were in Indianapolis. I was like, what, really? Yeah, and then, yeah. <laughs> we know nothing about the Midwest, so we're like, we had to do our research. It's like, oh, this dude is in Minneapolis, he have all these restaurants, and he's selling more rum than we could possibly imagine. Yeah. It's like DC doesn't drink rum, and it's like, this guy is single handedly. It's, it's, it's yeah, you know what, though, like, rum is not. Uh, I know Chris is a rum geek, and, yeah, and um, it's a it's a hard sell across the board. It's like, a hard sell. I have, um, I had a very 
um, interesting conversation with Martin Kate of Smuggler's Cove um, a couple of years ago and talking about how I was just really dismayed at um, our ability to sell some of the more esoteric bottles. And um, and the, my greater concern was that with this, when the distributors have really cool esoteric rums, that they don't bring them to me. I have to hunt them down on their books. And mm-hmm. he said, oh, yeah, it happens to me, too. That's, I mean, and I'm like, well, if it happens to you, yeah, I'm right. screwed. You're like the biggest name in the business. So, right. yeah. Um, but it's being able to utilize those flavors inside this bar. Like, I got to try some some drinks last night that were like kind of riffs, I guess you could say, on drinks that uh, people would be familiar with. Or um, they were described in ways that people were comfortable with. Right. And I mean, I wish I could have gone through a much longer, you know, uh, at night and, and trying the whole menu, but seeing as how we had to, had to meet up early this morning before you uh, start carving ice and doing all your prep for the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the place is called the green zone. Yes. Um, you know, for, for those out there that don't know, um, where did you get the name for the green zone? So when I took the, the concept from my apartment to the actual public. Um, I was at the time doing it with my cousin and we needed a name for it. And we were throwing names back and forth. And, you know, since we're both Iraqi, the name Green Zone came up and I was like, all right, that's it. Because all the other names were like really stupid. I mean, we had one of the <laughs> can, you, can you give us some? <laughs> well, the one we were we both thinking, have those, you the know? one we were thinking was, oh, should we just call it Haram? Like Haram in Arabic and especially in Islam means like forbidden. Um, so, you know, alcohol is haram. So like, oh, let's call it haram. It's like, no, we can't call it haram. That's ridiculous. Um, you, you just want to com- completely yeah, eliminate your Muslim clientele right off the yeah, bat. <laughs> so, you know, that was off the board. So after a few, a little bit more spitballing, the green zone came up and that seemed like the best option. Um, and since then, this it was sort of like a throwaway thing at the time, but since then, you know, we have sort of become, for lack of a better term, a safe space for a lot of the Middle Eastern community. And, you know, the green zone in Baghdad was like the international safe zone, you know, where you could go if you're an American or frankly anybody else, if you had the pass to get in and like not worry about all the other shit going on in Iraq where there were cool bars to hang out in. Um, And so it's become it was a coincidence, but like we've sort of like through no deliberate effort become that as well. So now the name has taken on like that other meaning as well. I mean, not only is it a safe zone, but it's like a, it's a pretty politically charged zone from like, so, you know, yeah. and, and I so, like that because it's almost the way I keep um, thinking about it when I've come in and I've looked at your menus and I've listened to the people at the bar and I sat here at the bar last night with, with EJ actually. And uh, well, when you got back, we were, yeah. I was with your rest of your bar team prior to that. But I mean, it's. I don't want to say politically charged, but it's it's a there's an element of it, certainly. you know. But there's a, a a complete freedom of you know, hey, you got something to say, say it. You well, know, we have, a, we have uh-huh. a like-minded, I guess, community overall. Washington D.C. for the people that are actually registered here are 92 percent Democratic for the most part. Yeah, right? but there's a large portion of people that are here from whatever state for many years that don't register as whatever it is. But for the most part, this is our neighborhood. These are people that we you know. The reason we have a TV in here was to watch elections. So yes, we have like absolutely, like we don't yeah. watch sports on that. Well, we brought actually it, we, we initially did later. wanted to watch the World Cup, but we opened <laughs> right. after the World Cup, right. so we delayed getting we're TV. Like, so we're like, we'll get this TV. Gimme. Yeah, we got this TV just so we could watch elections and yell at, you know, whatever state's messing up and congratulate the states that are doing well. Yeah. And, you know, we, we have the illegal mezcal, you know, Donald yeah, Trump stuff branding. everywhere, yeah. all that branding everywhere. They were giving out shots on days. and. 
uh, on election day. We are that kind of politically charged space, and, and and like we were mentioned the night before, it hasn't really affected us in in anything negatively except for our one bad Tinder date that went horribly wrong. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> What's about this Tinder date? The Tinder date, uh, they, had, they had a two one and a half hour date. They were here for a while. They were drinking uh, a good amount at a pretty solid clip, but no one was really drunk at this point. And then she had mentioned and saw that we have on our menu a fuck Trump punch. The fuck Trump punch, and, and he sues us. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, fuck Trump. Fuck, he's a horrible guy. Who'd you vote for? And he didn't really, he kind of abstained. <laughs> he, had mentioned, he, had, he had mentioned that he had abstained from voting and uh, had said something to the uh, to the uh, context of, oh, they were both bad, both bad choices. But she, that was like, in this in this very politically charged city, in this neighborhood, that's not a good enough answer. No, it's not. Right, that's right, not a good right. answer. Especially for a, a young 25-year-old woman and a 25-year-old man kind of, like meeting each other for the first time. So it just got to a point where um, he just respectfully declined the rest of the date. <laughs> got up, like, like just stopped talking completely, got up, took $50 out of his pocket, put it on the bar, and said thank you, and have a good night, just walked out. Wow. And like the whole time I'm wearing the Donald Espandejo shirt, <laughs> and like, none of, like we have a sticker on the wall with Trump looking like an asshole that says asshole on top, like it's just, it's, you know, you don't notice it if you're just blind. Can I see your nitrogen tank in the corner that says not a WMD? Right, like, yeah. You know, I mean. That was actually one of our bartender's uh, ideas. Um, but yeah, we had the nitrogen tank, and he initially put up a little, like, paper sign saying not a WMD, and I'm like, that's brilliant. What can we do with that? Yeah, yeah, it was, it's actually quite smart. The little, just little but like all those little tank. things, yeah. though, as you, like, look across the bar, and it's a pretty small space. I mean, we're in, a, in your first level here, which is the smaller of the two. Small you got an upstairs yeah. bar as well. well. How many do you see down here? 20? <laughs> as far as we're Maybe. concerned, or as far as the city's concerned? <laughs> all right, yeah. Uh, as far as the city's concerned. 20-ish. Yeah, 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 I was going to say, it's pretty, it's pretty With, tight. like, standing room of about 35. But, like, all yeah. of these little pieces um, really make me think of it as, like, almost... It's almost like installation art, right? Like it's right. it's a bar as protest. You know? so, that's a, a good bit, way to put it. A yeah. Bit. We um, the stuff that we see around the walls and how we chose what we were doing has, like, more or less, this is what we could afford, and this is what we kind of had to do, and so we had to make do and make like little handmade kitschy objects work yeah. for us. Um, Chris had all of his art. Um, and we really didn't know how we were going to put it on the wall. I've never done a gallery wall before, so I figured out that this is the travel stuff plus alcohol things. We, Chris, talk about, we had the um, Johnny Walker back painting in Arabic calligraphy commissioned yeah. uh, by a Lebanese street artist. Um, and that was, we knew that was going in. Uh, and we knew that we were. That's funny, man. I saw that painting last night. I, from afar, I didn't even realize what I was looking yeah, at. It's yeah, it's all made of Arabic calligraphy. Yeah. And the, um, we had the Moroccan tile. And, and on the bar had, tops. We have Chris's literal record sleeves upstairs to represent the music aspect of what we do upstairs. And this is just kind of like, all right, well, this is the travel room, and that upstairs is going to be the music stop. But yeah, you largely like built this with your own two hands, right? Well, I mean, so I had a designer and I had a general contractor, and then but then once they were done, it was like, oh shit, there's still a lot there to, was do. So so much to do. So EJ and our Sam, AGM Sam yeah. did a lot of the like final installation stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, most of the, I mean, most of the design work and stuff, I mean, I was, like I said, I had a designer do the drawings, but there was like, you know, daily phone calls with him right. and a lot of back and forth. And, and with me and yeah. talking about functionality. Yeah. And well, right. I mean, those, that's where I, and we did an episode a couple, couple weeks ago, um, 
about that specific topic about restaurant design, and a lot of it is the non-sexy stuff, right? It's yeah, like 100%. how close does the front of the bar go to the back of the bar, right. and how much you know room do you have for a cooler here? Yeah, exactly. And efficiency, and it's not the interior decoration. I think that most people think of is the actual like. You know, no, the, it's the interesting because the, the decor was all the stuff that happened after that. Right, exactly. But it's like I said, I it to me it feels like this kind of subtle protest and like and, and setting up and and being in your face with like a drink a drink called you know the fuck truck. Punch. So that actually started as the fuck That's ISIS it, punch. Oh yeah, in 2014. 2014 was when ISIS took over Mosul and like all of northern Iraq and like to me as a very liberal, secular, westernized Iraqi, I was like, this is. They represent absolutely everything that I hate. Um, so, yeah, so it was the fuck Trump punch, which for, fuck ISIS punch, which was very similar. It just didn't have the mezcal in it, and it, we had the yeah, option. You gotta add, well, add for, Mexican for, spirits. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, for, for a dollar, <laughs> for a dollar extra, you could get it uh, with a strip of bacon on the side on the oh, fuck shit, ISIS punch. Because what would we really hate? It's like oh, that. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> ISIS sort of like faded away, and Trump sort of came to the forefront. And oh like, no, no, no! You forget the other iteration. Oh well, Richard that, Spencer. That punched. was around the inauguration. It briefly became the when Richard Spencer, when the video of Richard Spencer went viral, him getting like clocked in the face by a protester <laughs> for one week. It became the Richard Spencer punch, but that was just a name change. Nothing actually changed in the drink. But yeah, so when Trump came around, it was like, well, he's the. In actually, in actually jihadist terminology, we were going for the near enemy rather than the far enemy. Mm. So. It became the fuck Trump punch, and of course, you know, we have all the Middle Eastern stuff and that, but what can we, uh, what can we make it more fuck Trump? Well, obviously, I have to add mezcal. So, the, you, a lot of your cocktails, looking through the list, I see a, a ton of ingredients that I am unfamiliar with. I'm, I, I've seen them, and I'm familiar with their existence, but I have not seen them used as prolifically as I have. I have to say because I know that you're you're a rum geek and yeah. obviously a tiki file because I, you've got some really badass tiki drinks on the menu as well and I didn't order one of them. That's, that's how <laughs> like so that's how attractive the rest of the menu was. Like because yeah, I was like nice. I've seen all of these things but I would ha I just don't know how to use these in a, in a uh, as a component in a drink and I mean like okay you've got the rock and it's like some of these anise notes and whatever but yeah. like yeah. using that in like concert with another spirit that I'm also unfamiliar with and right. another spirit and another yeah. modifier. Right. Like that's, sure. it's almost like Tiki where like all the rules are out the window. You right. can't just use your, well, let's just use a sour build except we're subbing in this. Yeah. You know? I mean, this is another thing I did. I, I went, there's actually a store in Georgetown that has all this crazy, like Middle Eastern, Balkan, Turkish, Eastern European stuff. And I just went there like, you know, over the last several years and like bought every single one of these bottles and like, like what are these tastes? Like what can I do with it? You know, so for example, um, Greek mastic liqueur. Like, okay, it's a product of Greece, but it's a flavor that's very common in like the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, so that gets put in a little bit in a lot of drinks. Um, you know, EJ was actually doing a charity event last night, so that's one of the one of the things in it. And it, it's a very distinct taste. Nothing else tastes like it. Right. It smells like parsnips and mint. Uh, yeah. And like eucalyptus, and has this interesting, fun flavor that's really, really earthy. And like I think people would appreciate it, and it's not offensive whatsoever. It's just yeah. complex and different. Yeah. Right. So we're adding that to a bee's knees on the menu here, uh, with Bar Hill gin, and then a little bit of Adak as well, just to give all that earth together in, in a cup. That's in, in, again something that you kind of know, and then like let me give you a flavor profile that you haven't had before. Yeah. And it's just yeah. people kind of 
get happy about that. Well, and that's what I had the, uh, I, well, Jason? I think, well, who was your bartender that was working last night? The Will younger, Will over there. The younger Michael, over there. Michael, 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 Michael yeah. yeah. So I th I, he phrased it perfectly. I, I wish my staff uh, would, I'm gonna, I might have to steal this. Uh, when we're recommending a drink, I said, you know, I'm, I need another drink, but I'm going to let you choose it because everything looks great. And yeah. I'm just being indecisive. I, I was being that douche on that side of the bar. Like, <laughs> I don't well, know. No, no. There was only three people at the bar. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I wouldn't have done it if it were like four deep. But um, he was like, oh, well, I, you've, you've got to get um, the Sazi Rock um, because this is, if, if there's any way to define a bar through a drink, this is it. And, that's interesting to do. And that. I was yeah. like, that's what I want then, like, because I want to know what this place is all about and one drink. And, yeah. and it summed it up. And I know it's been a very popular drink for you. But it's also, that's a very common um, request here. Here at the specific bar, I know everybody goes. What's your favorite thing on the menu? Sure, you're right. But yeah. here they go. What's the What's the best thing here? Yeah. Like, what are you guys doing here? That I was like, yeah. And the, we, you know, the Saudi Iraq would tell us. That, yeah, it's know? a different question, right? It's like, right. what's the best thing on the menu, or like, what is it all about? Because oh, I, yeah. I need you to. You gotta have to have a baseline to right. figure out. I mean, how, we still where haven't talked about like the idea of what we're doing is slightly ridiculous. When I tell people that I, we, we lined, <laughs> I lined, I lined myself with Chris, and we're gonna. I was like, I'm opening up a Middle Eastern cocktail bar, and the immediate reaction is, we don't drink. Like, yeah, what yeah, is that supposed to be? And it's like, well, no, man. This is like a lot of people that drink it. They, they do. They oh, boy, a, don't they? They have a culture of beer, of even uh, they have a culture of beer and wine and spirit. Like, that's all you really need. They drink. Yeah. Well, I've got, I mean, hell, I've got Persian friends that are like, oh, the, the alcohol is there. <laughs> just, yeah, don't, yeah. just don't throw it in anybody's faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you're on, you're on. Like, they say Tehran is a crazy party scene in yeah. people's apartments. Right, exactly. Ah, okay. Yeah, 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 it's, it's like this home based thing. Yeah. yeah. So you're just kind of taking it out of the shadows to a certain degree. But yeah, this Sazerac and a lot of the drinks that we do, um, the Sazerac is compelling because of all of the flavors that we're putting into that drink. It's a slight uh, step away from um, you know, all of the anise, and uh, yeah, but it, it still uses a lot of herbs to kind of bring that idea, but not exactly the same flavor profile, as well as we are using liquid nitrogen in order to chill our glassware. Date syrup to sweeten it. Date syrup to sweeten it. and. Yeah. Uh, that's and I love that. I was looking across and like I just see date on all those, um, you know, all that's, the cocktail ingredients. Like the, I was like, that's like the most Iraqi ingredient. Yeah. And it was it just that piques my interest. I love dates, so uh, we'll give you a thing of dates to stick with. Dude, yeah, like yeah. we'll take a little a little piece back to yeah. Indianapolis, man. But the, I mean, do you know of another bar in no. anywhere in the United States no. that's, that's attempting to do I what mean, you're doing here? Some of the Middle Eastern restaurants, like the higher end ones, like Zaytinia or whoever else, sure. are trying to like dabble into it. I mean, they but, try to steal all of our cocktail ideas at one time. Well, that's that's not Zaytinia. <laughs> that's somewhere else that will not be named. But um, they tend to dabble a little bit. Like they might have like one cocktail with arag in it. Or like, you know, right. one cocktail that has like orange blossom water in it. Um, that's another thing we do. We have like orange blossom in everything. Um, but like, it's not wholesale. Right. Um, I was at, you know, New York's premier Lebanese restaurant. And uh, they had... Which is? It's called Ididi. Okay. And it's a great restaurant, but their bar program, they, they admit it, their bar program is lacking. And like, I had the one... Lebanese-ish cocktail on the menu and it was like kind of like a mojito crossed with a buck and it just had some like areg like as a float on top. Yeah. And it's like, okay, it was nice. I was told last night that, um, I love this analogy because every other Middle Eastern cocktail I've ever had from any other place is more or less a parody. Yeah. That it was like an actual well thought out cocktail. Yeah. Like, to be honest. Just putting something on top of something doesn't work. To like, be honest, it, the closest 
bar I've been to in terms of concept as far as the drinks are concerned is Mace in New York. Okay. Yeah. Where they're taking like specific spice or specific right. like, herbal flavors and that we want to build a cocktail built on this. Right. And so like obviously it feels like a very different bar, but like that's the one bar I went to, I'm like, oh my god, that's like the closest green zone thing there is. When it comes to like spice being used in cooking and cuisine, obviously that's like the most fertile area of the world. Of for, but we did an interview with Lior Lefsercars um, in New York that owns Labat, and like man, it just opened my eyes to everything. And that's like uh, you realize how little you don't know. And that's I had that exact same feeling when I sat down and looked at your menu last night. And I think I told you, or I, or I told Michael. Um, I like. I feel like I've just recalibrated myself. I'm like I don't know anything. I mean, we're so used to using the exact same spirits, or we, you know, mm-hmm. I drink a lot of gin or a lot of rum. But there's like you know, 400 incarnations of that. But right. it's still all rum in some way, shape, right. or form. And there's so many different liquors, liqueurs, syrups, you know, citrus. Um, I love the fact that you're using citrus from all over the world because you know we. I think most Americans don't realize that, you know, there's not just one kind of lime that you get at the right. at the market when you go. There's not just one kind of orange. I think it, it's changing a little bit now as, as people are paying more attention and, and uh, you know, farmers markets are offering more. Sure. But there's, of course, I mean, like, you know, mangoes, there's like, what, 300 different kinds in, in, <laughs> in India alone, you yeah. know? And so, like, but you point that out, like, as, you know, you've got, it's peak citrus season written right up on your chalkboard. Right. You People know. forget that. They lose sight of the fact that it is peak. I mean, it's this, the stuff that you could create with, with citrus always leans towards something seasonally of spring and summer. Yeah. Whereas, like, well, it's peak citrus season, let's make something that's not spring and summer. So we did right. this stirred down Silencio. Uh, mezcal, spiced, you know, spiced cocktail yeah. that has citrus and it's stirred, and, and that's, it's, you know it's clarified citrus, so right. it doesn't have that like summer freshness to it, right? right. But it has an acidity. Yeah. And it's nice and it's pleasant and yeah. it's not super, super. I mean, it's bright without being like overly cheery. That's also a really cool like reddish magenta color, which yeah. I love. <laughs> so EJ, you, I met you probably about what three, four years ago, yeah. I guess. Um, and and a aforementioned episode we were talking about. I, I talked to. Um, Several friends I know here in D.C. because we just we I like to come to the city, but I was passing through coming back from Martinique and we we had just had a really shitty daiquiri yep. at a bar. <laughs> and, um, and I'll tell you where later. Uh, yeah, I don't want to call <laughs> him out. Know, I'm right. not going to call him out on the air. It's, we I've called him out on social media before. But <laughs> and we were just it was really disappointing. It was like one thirty. And yeah. so we elbowed this guy next to us and we're like, man, where can we get a fucking daiquiri in this town that doesn't suck? And he was like, head over to Copycat. Yeah, you went all the way across um, the city. And, and so we're like, what, what, what time is it? And we're like, um, they close at 2. We're like, it's one thirty. We got, Just go we can get there in 15 minutes. We should be able to make it. We walked in and bartender was like, man, we've already, we just, just shots and beer now. We're we're not oh, doing cocktails really? anymore. It's too late. And then we relayed the story of this terrible da- daiquiri, and he was like, <laughs> and he knew who made it, and he was like, all right, I'll I'll, I'll make you the daiquiri. Yeah. And I was sitting on the bar, and EJ happened to be sitting right next to us, and um, and yet we actually, my grandmother growing up called me EJ because that was my really? and my oh, my initials, no and that way. was when we started talking because I was like, holy shit, my grandma used to call me EJ, That's so, so uh, I have since shed that, but. Uh, <laughs> Go with a much, you know, kind of 45-year-old bowler-sounding name, you know? I was like, I always feel like Ed's never heard of that sexy of a name. But, um, but yeah, that's how I met you. And you were, uh, at the time, kind of working in, in several different bars. Oh, yeah. 
I was um, running. I was running Boundary Road on H Street. There was kind of like this awesome neighborhood bar that had a chef who ended up becoming the chef de cuisine of mini bars. So like, oh just, really? Yeah, he's and he's leaving for Chicago. So he was he Josh's successor. Uh, yeah, afterwards. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I think predecessor. he's the predecessor. Uh, was leaving now. I don't know. I'm not exactly yeah, sure. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I don't he know. He's working there. over there right now. Uh, but he, well, he, when we, he was younger and he didn't, he was, he was still a brain about food. So I got to do whatever, a cocktail that matches food. It was really quite fun. Uh, but I had been around in the city for a, a while at this point. And sure. And managing cocktail bars uh, since 2010. Um, even though at 2010, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, but I was Nobody you know, did in 2010. Until, <laughs> no one did. until I make it. And uh, yeah, we met at the best cocktail bar in Washington, D.C. In my eyes, Copycat uh, Co. Run by the idiosyncratic Devin Gong and his amazing team. And I've uh, never had a bad time there. No, yeah. you can't. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's small. It's really personal. They've influenced a lot of what we do. Um, we've, we've literally copy copycat. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, we talked to Devin about how they, we've, we've had Andrew Smith teach us how to cut, how they process ice. We process ice in the same way. We do everything handcuffed. We have the same, uh, ice max 3000 that grows the block. Um, we're using a, um, one of the things about copycat that I love so much is how, how they dealt with their employees and how they get invested in the building. Yeah. Most of the people that, uh, with the, you know, most of the people that have worked there have worked there since the jump. And if they left, they left a greater human being doing other things right. um, than they have when they started. And Devin's kind of that guy to help you um, move yourself along career. He's, he's of the Sasha Petrasky head. He has like a, a very specific way that you have to make a cocktail. And like, you know, it's, kind of it's it's awesome but i could i don't think i could have ever worked really no. for that but it's very rigorous it's rigorous and i i like what i always love about going in there is i learned something you know yeah. like with the little like trail of like yeah. here's all the drinks and like yeah. based around one spirit or what it's like, like it's a peek into how his brain works yes and it's kind of super cool so when we wanted to open this bar um we knew walking into this that we wanted large form and ice and that we were going to do liquid nitrogen for glassware because we didn't have a freezer. We didn't have freezer space. We, when we saw the real estate, we were like, what can we do in here? And it's not a big space, like 600 square feet down here and 700 upstairs-ish. Yeah, something um, like that. And a small basement that, you know, would chop your head off because Chris is taller than I am. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, so, like, <laughs> duck a lot. With no, like, and we're, I'm, I'm, like, we're cutting ice downstairs with no floor drain. Like, how do we do this without <laughs> yeah. every day Lots my feet getting soaked, right? Air fans. So, Air fans. Yeah, right. Fans. Um, I mean, outside of what we do, I think it's important to talk about how my employees get taken care of here. Um, outside of, you know, we tip pool for the week, right? And that's a big deal for us to make sure that the Tuesday guy isn't getting left behind with the Friday guy. And it's also, it's ensuring that the people that is like, well, I only work Tuesday, so I don't make any money. I'm like, no, nah, that's not how this works here. Um, we decided that we wanted to do this awesome pool system. So this tip pool goes for the whole week and it's based on hours completed here. Mm -hmm. um, my staff only works at the most four days a week. They're off three days. Most of the time is very congruent. So they'll have three days straight up off. I only have one guy that's two and then one. Uh, the goal is we have 22 shifts a week. And for that, I need, $22,000 in sales. So that 20% is $200 per shift. And that's still not enough. They're going to be here for 12 to 14 hours a day. So, so not only do we have that tip pool, we decided to pay our bartenders in wage mm -hmm. uh, uh, to share uh, net sales. 
So we do, we originally started at 10%, then we bumped it up to 12%. So for every, you know, in general terms, if you're selling $1,000, you're going to get your 20% tip, and then you're going to get $120 on top of that as well. Um, because we know that, you know, a $14 cocktail does not necessarily yield a 20% tip. Sure, right. Here. And, you know, 375 or whatever the hell tip minimum wage here is in Washington, D.C. is never going to Never going to be enough. Right. And I, right want, I know that the uh, tip situation in D.C. has been kind of up and down. Right, and, yeah. Right think, now, it's I think still it's, status quo, but, uh, yeah. you know, who knows when it's going to change. Initiative 77 was a big, big talking point. Yeah. Uh, and controversial so. for for the city. And I ran the numbers for what it would be like if we had to pay everyone $15 minimum wage. Um, and like we can do it, but we're a cocktail bar. We have a good profit percentage on the yeah. on the back end of everything. And you know he loses out on the ownership, loses out a little bit at the end of the day. But we're okay to survive. Our food costs cover itself. We don't have a large you know. We're basically selling. I think of it. This is a counter deli, and we're selling thirteen dollars sandwiches on the clip. Yeah, yeah. Like, and you right. have to just treat it like a counter serve, uh, counter service restaurant. But you know, with the added awesomeness that it's a bar and you have this personality to it as well. So, like the money aspect of what we do and taking care of our employees was, is, you know, within the industry in the area, that's what a lot of people talk about too. Yeah. Like, this is how these guys are getting paid. <clears throat> so now my bartenders, who are all I consider managers, are super invested every day. We talk yeah. about our tip structure. We talk about the sales every week. I show them, I break down credit card tips versus cash tips on a weekly basis uh, for their payroll so they know right. how much money they're gonna make. Mm -hmm. I don't break down and tell everyone how much everyone exactly is making. Uh, I think that's a little too far. Um, but at any time they wanna, I wanna break down of what they made that week, I'll show them theirs. Uh, but I, unfortunately it's in the same like, <laughs> same spreadsheet. spreadsheet that I like. You just look here. This is all right. But I yeah. can't like. I don't want to like. Ex I don't we use software for that, so everybody can see it all. Yeah, we can't um, force uh, it. Yeah, it's, it's like an sheets. online. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're we're yeah. terribly responsible for that. We need somebody to hold us accountable. Well, you have you know four or five places. Well, we d but and everyone's run a little bit differently. Yeah. So, but the Tiki joint, it was in that same situation, like you were saying. Like, there's some shifts, and it's like where everybody sits at the bar, and the you know whoever's out on the floor, because we have 3,700 square feet. It's so if you're if you have one of the rooms upstairs, they could be totally full, and there might be nobody sitting at the bar right. whatsoever, yeah, or it could be the other way around. And so, mm -hmm. you know, somebody's kind of always getting screwed, but and but everybody's still putting in equal work. I mean, right. the bartenders have to make the drinks regardless. Right. Um, yeah, I was. I'm wondering. I mean, obviously. So we're in Adams Morgan, um, yes, yes. Right? So, um, um, which obviously is just packed full of like cool everybody, every ethnic group. Well, now, like, now yeah, right, right, right. It's, it's like, changed significantly over yes. the, the years. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a DC. I was born in Washington DC, and Chris was born in. What were you then? Almost DC. Almost DC. Yeah. And we, we both grew up. That's outside. as far as you're getting. Almost yeah. DC. We grew up outside of the suburbs. Um, he was in Langley. He went to Langley High School. Went to Woods. It's a Fairfax and McLean-ish, right? Yeah. And so in 1999, Washington DC, senior year of high school for me. Even by, by the time I turned 21, there's really only three places to hang out, and that was if you're up uppity white dude, you were in Georgetown. Yeah. If you are not from around here, you hung out downtown in like large clubs, yeah. uh, hip hop clubs, and even uh, like other. There was at at one point so like a seventies and eighties and nineties dance club, and all that stuff downtown in Chinatown was kind of lame. But like, yeah. that's where you and went. Then, and then Dupont. Dupont, oh, right? Okay. Had a small area, and then and like, Dupont Adams Morgan, right? Adams Morgan used to be a sea of humanity, and it covered everyone from blue collar to white collar, right? Like, yeah. It was. There was all these bars. Some of them still exist, like Heaven and Hell, um, <laughs> uh, that were just like. 
so many people and just literally teenagers sitting on someone's car drinking beers outside. It was kind of hectic. And that kind of turned itself on its head around, you know, 2003, 2004, 2005, when every single neighborhood started popping up with their own little thing. Yeah. So now in Washington, D.C., almost every single neighborhood has one, if not two, if not three awesome places to eat and drink. Yes. And so Adams Morgan just started to die. And they've got an identity. Right. Now they've yeah. got an identity, too. Um, you know, there's parts of D.C., you know, there's... Washington is so approachable, and I don't want to say the word gentrified, but it is. It is. Like, no one calls it, no one calls it, like, it used to be called Chocolate City. It's not Chocolate City anymore. Um, it, there's, you know, the exchange is that it's safer. I was, you know, I was talking to a girl last night, and I was like, how long have you lived here? It's like, have you always felt safe, like, walking around the city? It's like, yeah, always. And so... How long has she lived here? Three years. Oh, yeah. But when I was a child growing up, uh, like, my parents left here in the 80s because of crack, and it was how messed up it was, and sought an opportunity to go to Northern Virginia. And even, you know... It, no, I mean, when I was in high school, going to 930 Club felt like, you know, yeah. stepping into the wilderness. Right. Mm. And I mean, it didn't... And it, Washington, D.C., you had to have a little bit of a backbone to get into. Like, you had to, in order to stay here for a little bit. I was, like, in awe of people that would come into D.C. and, like, live there immediately after college. Like, yeah. It's always what I wanted to do. And then, so you have Adams Morgan changing and all the little college bars that were, you know, they all left and uh, the neighborhood didn't leave. They stayed here. The 23 year olds that lived here are now 30 and they have a kid. Right. Yeah. And so when I, we started telling people we're opening a Middle Eastern cocktail bar, they're like, a cocktail bar? Like a nice cocktail bar? We're like, yeah. It's like something that, you know, will scare off a 22 year old uh, college boy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. For like, the most so, part, For the anyway. most part, right? right? <laughs> but they, they still kind of come. But, that we had, you know, we opened for this neighborhood and it was very specific that I wanted to make sure that the neighborhood understood what it's we were doing. For. And it was yeah. catered for. And it was catered yeah. for. Like, we're doing it for us, we're doing it for the neighborhood um, and we wanted to show this awesome idea and have everyone, so we've been really well received. Yeah, that was my question, right? Yeah. Is like how the, and the, the neighborhood kind of received it because you've got people from, you know, like your 30 year olds that have been hanging around here for a little bit. Right. You said you've got a, a good uh, Middle Eastern clientele that comes yeah. in here as well. And like, obviously, you know, like you said, it's the safe zone for everybody yeah. coming yeah. through yeah. and rolling through. I mean, how has it been received for you kind of becoming an unofficial like ambassador and the neighborhood for, you know, um, Iraqi and Middle Eastern, you know, owned businesses? I mean, you know, we're not a hookah bar. Right. We're not a shawarma joint. Thank God. Like, and that's the only representation we've had until this point. And also, like, you know, Andy Shalal, who owns Busboys and Poets, he's he's Iraqi also, but that's a whole different game. Um, You know, for me, it was also showing, like, you know, the Middle East is more than, you know, (laughs) late night shawarma and crappy hookah places and, um, you know, groups of men sitting around staring at women. So you didn't want to be... When we opened up, I had this conversation with a person that kind of got offended to a certain degree. Like, but I didn't want to be a stereotype. I didn't want yeah. to be yeah. what I wanted to call. I refer to it as like just, just immigrant restaurant. Like, yeah. and you see it in every culture. Like, I don't want to open a, a dusty bodega of a of a cocktail bar and have people assume that it's like not. Yeah. Like, no, it's it's lively. It's fun. It's modern. Um, and the only stereotype in here is all the Johnny Walker, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> but that's like a cool callback, though. I don't yeah. necessarily call that a stereotype. Because, well, I mean, I do, they're right? all on the top shelf, though, but, like, yeah. they're all unopened, you know? Yeah. But, but we, my wife and I, when we opened our, our Thai restaurant, it was the same ideal, right? Like, it was, like, we're not aiming to be a strip mall standard issue, like, go in, grab, go, and you're going to get shitty service. 
nobody will be able to communicate what's in the dishes to right. you, all those sorts of things. We're like, we're opening a restaurant that serves Thai cuisine, and yeah, we have Thai people working here, et cetera, but like, really it's based around like, let's just be the best restaurant we can be, and here's what we serve, like, sure. you know, that we're into that, so. On the opposite end of it, we didn't clean it up so much that right. it becomes, again, a parody of what this right. is supposed to be. Overly polished, kind yeah. of. Yeah, I want mean, yeah. it to be kind of place that I would want to drink in. Right. You know, one of my favorite places in D.C., in addition to Copycat, a service bar. And like, at both oh, yeah. places, I kind of feel the same. Spot. It's like, they're nice, but they're not like overly done. And you can just like hang out there and like, you know, come in fucking wearing flip flops if you want to. And nobody's right. going to look twice mm-hmm. at you. It's funny you say that because I, we just had uh, my interior designer, Nikki Sutton, on an episode a couple couple weeks ago. Yeah, and she that. said that there has to be some sort of human element. Like, if a space becomes too sleek, that the human brain just naturally kind of is repelled by that you know there has to be something that feels handmade something that's you know like this feels handmade you know the people put this brick wall up by hand hundreds of years ago right exactly (laughs) like but it was done you know somebody it wasn't uh just like you know a giant construction company like quick throw this building up you know (laughs) but you guys really did do a lot of stuff because you were telling me about like some of the cool little things that nobody coming into this joint would like notice design wise, which I think a real fly. Like you did your own bar tap, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, yeah. The drip trays I thought were fucking Those are completely custom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a good, a good friend bad. and friend of mine and regular of ours, Ben Kaplan, who, uh, it's starting to get more more commissions for work since school come in and see this. And like, they're like, Oh, I own a bar. Or, like my friend owns a bar. Like he's interested. But, um, yeah, but like they were, he's not in the business. He's not in the business. He, he produces performance racing parts for Volvos. So he's an engineer and he has a metal shop and like, you know, CAD design programs on his computer. And he's like, I was telling him, I was just like, you know, we were getting a drink and I'm like, man, like I'm trying to get quotes for the stainless steel and they're all trying to rip me off. He's like, I can do it. I'm like, wait, really? (laughs) He's like, yeah, and I'll give you a really cool design too. I'm like, okay. So that's what we ended up with. I love it because it's a really subtle design aspect because as you sit at the bar and uh, and you're on the rail, you can actually, it bring it ties in mm-hmm. the architecture that you would find in Absolutely. the Middle East. Absolutely. And, I mean, you know, I really wanted an ideal world. There are these, like, there's a couple bars in Beirut and also Istanbul that are like in like ancient stone vaulted buildings. And like, that's what I would want, but obviously we can't have that. So it's like, okay, what other like architectural throwback to the region can we do and like you know it's that and it's those stencils and so what's the best drinking city in the middle east man <sighs> probably beirut i mean there's a yeah. couple really awesome bars in istanbul but like and like istanbul is a big nightlife city too sure and, you know it's a city of 18 million people so you know dwarfs beirut it's like 2 million people um but like as far as like the going out culture i would say beirut um you know they they're an all-night party culture. And even if it's just, like, you know, going out for beers until 3 and three or 4 in the morning, not necessarily, like, you know, there's some famous, really big-deal nightclubs there, which I'm completely done with, like, by the time I was 22 or something. Right, I'm, like, sure. I'm, I'm finished with that scene. Right. But, um, yeah, like, there's several neighborhoods in Beirut where, like, you can stay out until, like, 5 or 6 in the morning. And there's, you know, 24-hour food that's quite tasty actually what i wanted to do was to emulate my favorite 24-hour food street food place in beirut just to have an alcohol license um, so we haven't quite done that but like that was working my... but it's new you, you still got time to, to, yeah, to well, get all those things fleshed um, out because but, i mean it's, a, it's an area of the world right that we've all like everybody fear mongers like right, don't go sure, to the middle east sure, you're right. gonna get killed and yeah, all no, this I mean, stuff that's the thing. i mean to be honest the thing with the middle east is that like 
petty crime is almost non-existent. Right. Um, I feel safer and quite often walking around Beirut on a dark street than in DC on a dark street. Um, you know, yeah, there's, you know, every 10 years a car bomb might go off. So like, that's uh, completely random, but like on a daily basis, that's completely false. Um, and I would say Istanbul also, I mean, like Istanbul, I would say has maybe two like world-class cocktail bars, which for a city of 18 million is kind of disappointing, but mm -hmm. I mean, those bars are great. Um, Whereas Beirut has maybe, you know, a, f a couple more. And, but just like, you know, just, there's some streets in Beirut where it's like bar, 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 like almost like 18th Street or like St. Mark's Place or something. Wow. Yeah. I know it's been on my, uh, my agenda to hit in the next year or two. So. You ever do get in like, touch. Oh, I, I, recommendations. I believe me, I will be. Yeah. Well, it, it, so we've talked about all this like Middle East vibe that you've got going here. It is important to point out you're Filipino. Yeah, <laughs> so, sorry. Yeah, I got so, Filipino. Like, how did you get involved in like being the general manager? I mean, you because you weren't doing this at Boundary Road. No, um, I think uh, when Chris and I met, uh, what was that? When was we when met, you subbed for me at the pop up. Right, I was unemployed. Uh, I had uh, I had told my previous employees to fuck off, and I was just kind of like hanging out at bar surfing, doing some stuff. And uh, someone asked me if I wanted to uh, be a barback at this Middle Eastern cocktail pop-up. And I was like, what the hell is that? And so it was out at Ziba Bar up in uh, Columbia Heights. And I went and I checked it out. And there, sure enough, I met Chris. Big personality. Cinema had a very small bar. And he was like, I want to do all these cocktails. I'm like, just reading through the list. I was like, well, shit. And Chris humbly does not come from the world of bartending. So he worked with the IMF and World Bank. World Bank. World Bank, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so um, I was like, so it was just some like nerdy dude that likes cocktails that figured out a way to execute cocktails at someone's bar and they just let him do it. So all of that was like, that's pretty fun, right? Like, that's awesome. Let's get to, let's get to working. And uh, so for the most part, um, I think at that point you had been doing it for a year. That was 2015. Yeah. yeah so about, about a year, a year about a year. Uh, but like at this point you were on a clip of doing it regularly. Yeah. Zero for Thursday nights. Yeah. So um, I had worked that night and I had just kind of like, just did a good job under Chris's eyes because, you know, I've been running restaurants for a while and we just got to talking and I got to have a couple of drinks afterwards and I was enamored by what he was doing. Again, the first time you have a Middle Eastern cocktail drink from Chris and you know what he's doing and then you taste the execution of it, you're like, well, fuck, why didn't I think of that? Like, why? That's, he just puts it on his head. So a couple, you know, fast forward a year later, uh, he asked me to be the GM of the space. And I think the first day I was like, that's a cool idea, but uh, let's get some real estate first. And then, <laughs> and then we can figure it yeah. out. Because like, I didn't want to say, no, and I told you like hard, I was like, I'll be more than happy to consult. I will lead you. Yeah, right. I remember like, that. Because what it, what it really was for me, it was thinking in the background, this guy has never worked in a restaurant before. Yeah. He wants to own a bar. I could kind of see it, but I don't fucking know. Like, <laughs> so I kind of put it, I told him I would consult any help that you need. Give me like, always email me, always bug me, whatever. I'm an open book. Like I, I've never opened a restaurant before either. So that's like on me, but I, I've been around enough times and I've been a critique of many bars to a point where I, I, I probably sure. at this point had to put up or shut up about what I was going to do. Sure. So like, yeah, he basically asked me to open up his bar and you know, not a lot of people get to op have the opportunity to open up their own bar. And I don't think I was ever going to be in a place where I wanted to open up my own bar. And so, but I wanted to, again, like put my, put my money where my mouth is and help Chris. So when we got the space and it became real in August of 2017, yeah, right? Um, 
it was we we went full steam ahead. I understood what do you wanted to do as far as the concept. We but there was just everything we had to flesh out overall. Um, we were building the bar up uh, until opening. July six was soft opening. Yeah. Uh, there was literally all of the office <laughs> still on the floor. There wasn't a mirror in the bathroom. There was like we just but we had a, yeah. we had a liquor license. We had waited a long time. We yeah. got to make some money. So we opened yeah. up and we knocked it out and like. Um, a lot of it has been teaching Chris how to manage a bar and what to do to order. He takes care of the kitchen stuff. I will take care of all the inventory and bar stuff, making sure like everyone uh, the scheduling and, and et cetera. But like from a systematic point of view, we created a very interesting schema. It's good to know Green Zone doesn't have any barbacks. Yeah. I am the king janitor of this. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. I get here at noon every day. Um, I do all the receiving when service starts. I'm their bar back. I'm running stuff. I'm running food upstairs and downstairs. Um, or like, I feel like that's or primarily... yesterday when EJ was in here, that was me. Right, or on weekends right, when right. I was here, it's Sam. I feel right. like that's always like the primary function. Like once you get to that level, right? It gets so much further away from why you got started <laughs> in the business. Yeah. Right. Like the better you get at your job, the farther right. away from that job it is. Yeah. Like, you know, when I started out, I was cooking. I mean, I wasn't cooking anything great. I'm not a chef of any stretch or a bartender by any stretch. I've worked in those positions, but I, I'm not great with time management when it comes to like prioritizing my shaking tins and like, <laughs> or you know, on on the hotline. You're round but, building, you know. You're but I was I was I was thrown into management at 23, so this is my 21st year of management. Yeah. So this is more or less what I've always done in right. restaurants. Um, but yeah, I'm like the guy that runs the drinks, runs the food, right. expedites, you know, washes the dishes when he but, doesn't show or, yeah, exactly. you know, like, but, and if I, because I can grease been, the wheels. That's why I always tell him, like, if you guys are in the weeds, tell me as you're getting in, not after you're already right. in, because yeah. I can't dig you out, but right. I can prevent you from getting right. there, right. <laughs> you right. know? So it's, um, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting being the general manager of a, a solely cocktail bar because I, you know, usually this position is. A person that has to come be on the creative side. I don't have to do any of that. Chris has a library of like 150 cocktails for over the last three and a half years. He did it as a pop up, and now we have gangster ass bartenders that need to brain around what it is that we're doing that can create on create on the fly. Yeah. And like you know, we'll vet something and put it on the menu. We just vetted a cocktail that Will Alvarez has been doing for a while. We put that on the classic cocktail list <laughs> of our of our menu. And he's one of my bartenders last yeah, night, and he was great. Honestly, I like the whole crew you guys have had so far. Like, yeah, everybody I mean, seems really incredibly I very, invested. I had a very short list of people I wanted to hire, and like most of them said yes. Yeah. Okay. So you you actually got to curate your list yeah. because everybody that's back behind that bar is passionate about yes. what it is that you guys are right. doing. Yes. Because as I asked questions, their eyes lit up. <laughs> you right. know, it was like, oh, Sam, cool. Sam likes to say a lot of this uh, really funny phrase. As soon as someone, a guest, like says something that interests, he goes. Now that you've said that, we could have a much better conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> much more interesting conversation. Because, like, we know we're opening a nerd cocktail bar. Like, we wanted to be, and we knew that we were going to do uh, what I've referred to as high volume craft. Yeah, without, I to the, without yeah. many, without much passion, right? Right. So I used to run Blackjack uh, at Pearl Live Oyster Palace on 14th Street, and that was a high volume craft cocktail bar. It wasn't as in depth, but it was much bigger, and we were churning out cocktails of, of quality, at least from what I thought was in 2013 or 14 in Washington D.C. D.C. didn't see anything that size uh, when I was there, um, and it was uh, for you know three years. It did a, we did a good job. 2014, we were nominated for Cocktail Program of the Year. Fast forward four years later, we're doing, you didn't see what happens last night, but this gets full on Friday and Saturdays. We do, we do two thirds of our sales on Friday and Saturday. And in that idea, yeah. we're making 
uh, you know, 40 to 50 cocktails um, an hour per person. Like it's sure. an hour per person, 30, like 20 to 30 cocktails an hour per person. Um, and it, we're just pushing it out and it's amazing. And everyone, you know, came in already trained um, their round building, their expertise, to how, how to move behind the bar. Um, you know, we have, I got two 40 year old bartenders and I got two 25 year old bartenders. Well, we talked about that last it's night crazy. a little yeah. bit, you know, is that it, you had the enough experience behind bars to be able to lay your bar out in a way that was efficient. Right. So you, everything's within, you know, yeah. one arm's reach. And that's, that's so important. I, we've, Yes, I've opened several locations, and every time I'm like, fuck, I wish I wouldn't have done that, but, you know, right. it's I mean, too you know, expensive to we, fix it, so the next time I do this, I will never do that again. Yeah, I mean, once we opened and actually started working here, like, a few things I wish I had changed about the design, but for Always. the most part, I'm Always. reasonably satisfied yeah, with it. Yeah, I'm pretty satisfied for how it works out. I mean, there's a lot of, we could have spent more money, but, <laughs> but like, we have money that we didn't have, there I guess. Enough money spent. Um, and there was clearly enough money spent, but for the most part, the bar works like I want it to work, yeah. like he wanted it to work. Yeah. Um, and I think... It's one of the easiest bars to just jump behind and be like, all right, cool. I know where everything goes. Yeah. It's all in front of me. All my syrups are here. I got a dipper well. I got a rinser. Let's just, mer and we engineered it that way. And we didn't engineer. Also, shout out to Copycat. Uh, our bar As if layout. we haven't given it. It's right? literally their layout. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, Devin is like, a savant with this kind of stuff. I'm like, everything he's done there, he's done for a precise reason, and they explain it to me. I'm like, that makes so much sense. Like, you build your drinks over, everybody builds their drinks over the ice well. Like, no, they'd build over the sink. Right. Because right. why wouldn't you? So why that's what we you? do. So, yeah. Why wouldn't, you, why wouldn't you want to not drip into your clean, fresh ice? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. If you're going to be using, you know, large format frozen ice for all your, frozen ice, obviously. <laughs> large format <laughs> block ice for all your Unfrozen drinks. Unfrozen ice, aka yeah. water. Uh, you know, why is it in some, like, fridge behind you? Why is it in a drawer right beside your station? Right. So everything is pretty thought out on the back bar, and then we kind of hope that the front of the restaurant worked itself out. Because we, <laughs> yeah. we just have a small space up here, yeah. and, you know, we're just trying to get uh, as much out of it as possible. It's working out so far. So you guys have only been here for, so, uh, what, what four, six July. months? Yeah, six July months, seven months. So, I mean, what's the plan? So just kind of full steam ahead and, and keep, keep growing? And Pretty much. Well, so. we just did, I mean, in the roundup of 2018 in, in Washington, D.C., we were mentioned a, a stupid amount of times. We yeah. Had, uh, Fritz Hahn of the Washington Post named this 2018 Council Bar of the Year, best new Council Bar Washington, D.C. So... I'm still quite unsatisfied with the handful of stuff that we put out. Like, I'm super happy with what we've done so far, but like, there is clearly a lot to do here. We haven't had a, like, a, we haven't done anything with brands. PR. There's like, we have no, nothing PR. like that. Like, we don't really even have a website right now. And so, really, we don't. And, and, and it's been highly successful without any of these things, which I know isn't probably the most sustainable model to use. But uh, it's, we now want to do, you know, we're trying to do pop-ups in different parts of the city, uh, different parts of the country. Uh, this is the part of the podcast that I was like, that I was going to say, I, we need to do a pop-up in Indianapolis. Inferno. Oh, dude, that would be great, dude. We would love to come. We would love to come in. Yeah. Yeah. Middle Eastern Tiki. Let's do that. Show, I did right? a Middle Eastern Tiki pop-up at Archipelago. 
yeah. two years ago, and it was like all the tiki-inspired drinks I created were on the menu that night. I think we're gonna do it, man. Uh, we 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 just want to do that this year. I think that's the first thing we want to do. And then we like I've already got. Uh, I went to high school with Kevin Diedrich out in San Francisco. Okay. Um, so at PCH, so we want to do something there. We've got a good friend. I love Rafa. that bar, man. Yeah, love that bar. And then Rafa, who lives up in New York, he's uh, runs the roof at Park South and Park South. You know, maybe we could, we're just trying to do pop solar in the country. And then on the backside of that, have enough money to get some of these cats to do pop-ups pop here, here. exactly. Up in the top shelf, uh, top uh, top floor, um, and try to do Well, you mentioned it last night about how small of a community it is, and, and uh, so did Will. It's like, you know, it is. It's, everybody knows everybody, and, yeah, and because sure. especially, and I see a lot of it, um, particularly in D.C., because Jose Andres' presence, obviously, in the city, and he's got restaurants all over the country. So you just have people constantly yep. traveling between the West Coast, East Coast. They stay well, here for a while. So then they bounce around to other places to work. And Will used to work for Jose Andres. And oh, one of really? Jose Andres' yeah. top guys is now open like La Factoria and Jungle Bird in Puerto Rico. Right. So that's another oh, pop-up yeah. we're trying to do. Yeah, I'll do that one too. Hell yeah. But yeah, that's what that's what the future is. And they just keep it sustainable and lovely. And and have the neighborhood come back. And the, the, and it's funny because we don't have just the neighborhood, we have the reach of other neighborhoods. Yeah. yeah. People come to Adams Morgan again, now that there's so many yeah. things that are open. We have, you know, the Line Hotel opened up uh, before us and they have a reason, like a good amount of tourism that brings us to Adams Morgan. Or just a lot of like, you know, locals who want to go have dinner there. Or right. want to go out afterwards. And they want to go out afterwards and they hear about like, this is yeah. a really good cocktail bar. Or, you know, have, or, you know, Sometimes they come here and have a couple of drinks while they're waiting for their reservation. We have, um, yeah, that happens too. Yeah. Because we have Tail Up Goat, this is a Michelin, Michelin star, star restaurant. Right, yeah. So people come here for a cocktail first and they jump up the, yep. up the way. Um, the, the wonderful guys over at Jack Rose who, you know, have been keeping this neighborhood sexy with their giant library of whiskey for the last dozen years or so. Yeah. They're opening a corner giant cocktail space with the brains of restaurant, restaurant, restaurant and cocktail yeah. space. The Dram and Grain going in their basement again with uh, the insane mind of Andy Bixby doing like <laughs> amazing cocktails as yeah. well. So like in the next couple of years, you know, we're definitely pushed that ball a little bit farther. Don't forget the, the Wawa opening up. Oh shit, we're gonna get a Wawa, man. Like that's a, <laughs> Adams Morgan is known for really horrible jumbo slice pizza. Yep. That was the thing. Yep. This pizza bigger than your head and for four dollars. There used to be three of them. They used to have lines out the door, and now that's all you could really get after twelve o'clock at night, except for the green zone where you could get delicious falafel and stuff to one o'clock. Well, one o'clock and two and two o'clock on the weekends. So we so we stay open because we have a healthier option. Yeah. But like man, if I don't like a Wawa sandwich at <laughs> 4 o'clock in the morning when I'm walking out yeah, of here. Like, there's no out, other like, what do you do? What well, do you do? Well, as we wrap up, man, you just seg me right, segued me right into it. So, <laughs> as you know, because you listen to the show, uh, we always ask everybody, um, you know, if you got any hangover cures, because if you at four o'clock in the morning, and if it's a wall sandwich, then that, yeah. that may not apply right, to everybody well, across the country. But uh, uh, there is um, uh, the new favorite that I have. Uh, is we've been talking about this. It's a good friend of ours, uh, Julian Bergeron, uh, the Easter um, <laughs> that runs the crowd I've met him a couple of times. Yeah, I, I run into him randomly he, every time I come to he's DC. He's one of my favorite cocktail minds in the world. Also, yeah. like, um, he's one of those human beings that just operates uh, under the influence better than. Julian, I didn't put it, put it out there. Yeah, it's yeah. Anyway, sorry, Julian. Uh, he has a story where he goes, <laughs> he goes to Yum. Actually, that's how I've met him the last few times. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, so I was like, hey, wait a minute, didn't I see you like five months ago yeah, when I was in town? Are you gonna share that? 
<laughs> he has a story about uh, going to a Chinese takeout space um, and uh, and just and ordering a cheesesteak and watching this lady in the back just rattle off what he thought was salt. And he was like, no, no, that's too salty. That's too salty. And they were like, I don't know. So they got these Philly cheesesteaks and they were like, nope, that was MSG. This is the best Philly cheesesteak. So if you're actually still drunk, Yum's on 14th Street. So it's one of the right there and I, and I <laughs> disagree entirely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's your options? So, oh, well, for when I leave, I mean, not much. It's sometimes still Yum's, but like, no, the next morning, if I'm hungover. That's uh, where it hits me the worst. <clears throat> yeah, of course. So, I mean, I actually was listening to your thing with Ed Hamilton, and he says, like, I drink half a liter of water. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, it's uh, a bowl of pho at Eden Center in Virginia, wow. in Falls Church, Virginia. Like, a, bowl of, a good bowl of pho to me. Is better than anything else for hangover. Fuzz, cure all, really. (laughs) It'll just make you happy. When I was in grad school, when I was in grad school, I still had a lot of my college friends. I actually lived in Adams, Oregon in grad school, and a lot of my college friends were still living in the area. And like, it would be like Saturday morning or Sunday morning, and we like, you know, eleven thirty in the morning, like text, like hangover, fuck, it's like, yep, all right, let's go. (laughs) Your body can only really want soup at a certain (laughs) after a good solid day of drinking, night of drinking. I mean, I, I want soup all the time, but like, this is trip. but yeah, that's my, that's Chris my and I have a very mutual appreciation for uh, soup uh, of every soup, single yeah. time. Yeah. Soup, stews, I mean, it's, a, it's perfect food. Yeah. Man, I appreciate you guys coming on the show. I was really excited to come here because the concept is, it's so unique. And that's like right. I said, I, I really see this bar as like installation art, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a bar as protest and, um, you know, hopefully you don't have to protest shit in a couple of years. Would you be happy? And well, like... um, there, well there, I'm just sure there's still going to be plenty going on in the Middle East to protest. <laughs> so yeah. that's not going away anytime soon. No. So, but thanks for doing what you're doing. Thank you. So, uh, I, I mean, the drinks are amazing. Being introduced to the, the new ingredients were amazing. And your bar staff is top notch. So, so gentlemen, cheers. We'll be sure to follow. <laughs> cheers. cheers. cheers.